and uh, we honor uh, uh, Ashley and Daniela and Emma and Lydia, and we thankful thankful that God has kept them and directed them, and now they've hit this incredible milestone. It's also Zoe's birthday, just in case no one knew today, but it's Zoe's birthday. She's a... She's a little excited about that, 15 years old, and uh, we're proud of her. It's another milestone. We don't celebrate, and we probably ought to, but, you know, we, uh, we'll have this graduation ceremony or a, a, a party downstairs here as soon as I get done preaching, and there's a little bit of refreshments, and you can see pictures of these young ladies as they've grown up and meet with them. If you want to drop a card off, you'll be able to do that. And and we've done that ever since I've been pastor for the last, oh, I don't know, 14 years. We've never really talked about our college graduates a whole lot. We ought to change that. That's another milestone in life. And and I may not know all the graduates because some people graduate and never tell me. But as far as I know, Andrew Singleton graduated and... Anna Schloop and uh, Kelsey and uh, Delaney Ashworth. We even had our illustrious assistant pastor uh, received his degree this year as well. And uh, Sister Jessie Teague, I think, got her MBA uh, going on there. And then my father, uh, who's been a lifelong student, received his doctorate in the philosophy of counselor education and supervision. Did I, did I miss any graduates? Is there any other people that, that uh, uh, college graduates or anybody graduated from the School of Hard Knocks? Any, you know, whatever it may be. But uh, those are milestones in life. Life is full of experiences. Life is full of those firsts. Your birth, it's a first. Those first words, it's always so cool. You... You try so hard to teach them, and half the time they don't say the thing you thought they were going to say. And many times, I'll just say, and, and I don't know that I did it, but I know all you other parents. Y'all think their first word, it's really not a word. Whatever y'all think they said, and, and y'all decided that's now what grandma or grandpa is going to be, that was just them jibbering. But we get all excited when they say their first word, and then their first steps. And then their first day of school to even now the graduations, we celebrate new jobs, we celebrate first dates, we, we look at milestones of marriage and our children being born and, and there'll be a new house that we'll move into or whatever those milestones are, life is an adventure. Anybody uh, seen that? By the way, adventures are not always great, sometimes they're scary. There's always something unknown around the corner in life. And so today I talked to each of these four graduates just to kind of, you've, you, you've stepped into a new place in life. You've never been this way before. It, it's very, I mean, uh, up, well, I guess maybe when you were five years old, you started school. You may not remember much before you were five, but as long as you can remember, you've been in school and, and, and now you're stepping out of, of public school. Some of you will go to college and you'll go to trade schools. You'll start jobs, but you've never been this way before. But I would like to preach for just a moment to everyone here because life is a continual adventure. 
even if you've gone way past your graduation and maybe you're empty nesting and you don't have kids, there's always going to be some unknown that has a way of putting itself in our life. And I want to just kind of talk to you about how you deal with the unknowns. If you have your Bibles, Joshua chapter 3, and and we'll start in verse 1, and we're going to read a few verses. And then keep your Bible open because we're going to stay right there in Joshua. But Joshua chapter 3, Joshua rose early in the morning and set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And at the end of three days... The officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you should go, for you have not passed this way before. And so it is, I would just like to reiterate, you've never been here before. None of us knows what tomorrow is going to hold. We may have an idea, we may have a plan, but the book of James, I think it is, tells us don't get all excited about tomorrow. Just live life today. If you make a plan and it comes to pass, great, but realize that at the end of the day, it's not your plans, it's God's plans. So it is that Israel had had a lot of ups and downs over the last 40 years. Israel for over 400 years had been in captivity of Egypt and they had lived day in and day out under the taskmaster's whip and the taskmaster's plan and Egypt's plan and they had kind of lived in that slavery and servitude and then Jesus, uh, or rather God comes and hears uh, their cry and hears their voice and Moses is called out from among them and brings them to that place, ten plagues and finally the release of Israel from Egypt. It was a first. They had to learn how to live on their own. They had come through it. They had come through the Red Sea. and They had seen God work miracles, manna, quail, all of those things, water out of a rock. They had had their ups and their downs. They had grumbled and sometimes they celebrated and sometimes they worshipped. There was a lot of new things. And then Moses gets to the end of his life. God allows him on top of a mountain to see over the Jordan River into the promised land, but because of some, some, some lack of faith on Moses' part and anger that was there, God didn't allow Moses to actually step foot in the promise. All of those except Caleb and Joshua that had come out of Egypt had passed in the wilderness. It's a whole new crop of, of, of new Israelites that have been around for about 40 or less years. And They come into view. The Bible brings us to chapter 3 of Joshua. You've already had two spies that have gone out and, and, and looked at Jericho and come back. Everything's ready and they march and they're excited. The accumulation of everything that they've heard about is about to take place. As soon as we cross this river, we'll be in the promised land that God promised our forefathers, Abraham, over 400 years ago. But there's something very interesting about that. You know, I, I know we look, and, and, and if you know anything about the Bible, if you've heard the story, you realize that, that they crossed the Jordan River. God divided it like the Red Sea. And, and, and we look at that, but I need you to step back for a moment and delve a little deeper into his word. Because verse 15 of 
Joshua chapter 3 gives a little insight of what really awaited them. Look at verse 15. It says, uh, kind of at the end of it, Now the Jordan overflows all of its banks throughout the time of harvest. I don't know if any of you know this, but it's rained a little bit the last couple of days. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't been on the news or looked at there, but they were telling me there were cars floating down, down somewhere in, in St. Louis County. You know, it, it flooded out and rivers are starting to rise again. And, and we here at, at, in, in the St. Louis area, we understand a little bit about flooding. We've seen it come up and down. Well, the, the understanding of this is the Jordan River that those children of Israel came to was not some cute little river that they could have just waded across it had overflowed its banks. It did it every year. In fact, from what I can understand, one description of Jordan that, that, that I, I read was that during this time, Jordan was an angry, defiant river. One description is that when it flooded, it would be one mile across from one side of dry land to the other side. That from flooded bank to flooded bank, it would average somewhere between 3 and 12 foot deep. It also was a, a, a current during the flood that they said sometimes would flow up to 40 miles an hour. Have you ever seen, I mean, just think about every creek you've ever seen. Think about every natural river, not something that's been terraformed by man, but look at every natural river. What's always along the banks of every river and creek? Trees, right? Brush. Now it's overflowed its banks and so all of those trees and all of those brush are under the water. Can you imagine uh, several hundred thousand strong and, and maybe upwards of a million, can you imagine them having to go through flooded brush and 40 mile an hour current over a mile wide? When the children of Israel got to the edge of their promise, they began to look at that and it seemed to be an insurmountable obstacle. For several days, the children of Israel encamped around there, and I am going to pull my own Buford imagination into it, but I have a feeling that if they, did you ever notice that they weren't even like a day out of Egypt and they were already starting to grumble? Mm -hmm. that, that as soon as God gave them manna, they wanted meat. And as soon as God gave them meat, they cried about how they didn't have enough to drink. I mean, they grumbled all the time, and so I'm quite certain, although the Bible doesn't say it, I'm quite certain that as they stood at the bank of an angry, swollen, fast-flowing death trap of a river, they started complaining. They started talking amongst themselves, we're going to die here. Oh, I know maybe some that's really strong, they might can get across. How many 80s and 90s computer players do I have in the building that played that green DOS game called the Oregon Trail? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You play the Oregon Trail, and, and in the Oregon Trail, you would start traveling, and then instantly your whole party would die of dysentery, or cholera would get you. But there was always one I remember vividly. It would say, you've come to a river. Do you want to ford it? Do you want to, you know, try to get your, your, your wagons across? Do you want to uh, make a boat out of your wagon? Do you want to wait till the rain subsides? And I tend to be a little impetuous. I can do it. And so whatever got me there faster, I would do. And then the little 
incredible graphics of the 80s and the 90s DOS games, it would say, uh, you capsized. Realize these children of Israel, this is not just one person. This is a, a, a like I said, upwards of maybe a million people and, and they've got their entire, they, they literally are living out of RVs except their, their carts. And they've got their tents. Everything they own is there. And they're looking at that unknown river and they're trying to figure out how are we going to get across. Maybe someone who's a strong swimmer might make it, but I know as soon as I get my house that's on wheels out in the middle of that 40 mile an hour current, it's going to capsize and I'm going to lose everything. What about the old and the aged that can't move real well? How are we going to get them across? What about the infants? What about the babies? What about those who are sick and for several days as they camped in eyeshot of the Jordan River, doubt and fear and grumbling pervaded their faith? They were trying to figure out how it is and, and, and that is exactly how life is. About the time we think we've made it. We're an eye shot of what we think is our promise or eye shot of, of what we're there. Life has a way of scaring us. That next step into the unknown of your future might take you through the chaos of a flooded Jordan River. One preacher put it this way, and I quote, Sometimes our lives feel stalled, stuck on the wrong side of God's promises. We read about abundant life, but we can't seem to make it out of the wilderness. And churches can feel that way too, stalemated by the promises of something great with God, but blocked by all sorts of barriers. And again, I quote from him, but with God, he can turn a no way into a highway. The great question is this, and still I quote, the great question is this, are you going to choose to walk by sight? Or will you choose to walk by faith? The question is, do we really believe that God can handle the impossible? For Luke 18, 27 says, with men it might be impossible, but with God all things are possible. And so you and I in life will stand on the brink of our future and ponder how do we move forward into the unknown. Well, I would remind you, you've never been this way before. And so I would caution you, don't just bullheadedly rush into the Jordan River and think you can do it. You've never been this way before. But yet, in the story that's contained in the pages of Joshua chapter 3, I find three things you do when you face the unknown. And I tell them to you this way. If you look, let me read it one more time. Joshua chapter 3 verse 2 I know I just read it, but let me read it again. At the end of the three days, the officers went through the camp, commanded the people. Listen, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord being carried by the Levitical priest, you'll set out from your place and follow it. The first thing you need to do when you are facing the unknown of your future, follow God into the unknown. When you don't know what to do, follow God. Why? Now we realize this. We're in the Old Testament. This is the Ark of the Covenant that they're going to follow. This golden chest, if you will. It's got poles in it. They're going to carry it upon the shoulders of the priests. 
On top of that is a, is a top they call the mercy seat. There's two cherubims that, that cover it. But inside Hebrews chapter 9 verse 4 tells us what the ark contained. It tells us it contained the Ten Commandments, the tablets of the law of God. It contained the, the, the pot of manna and it contained the rod of, of, of Aaron that budded. Three things, three reminders. The reminder of God's word and God's promises. The reminder of God's provisions and the reminder that God can use anything he wants to use and anything he touches, there will be a miracle out of it. And so it was that he said, follow. Now here's what's interesting. He said, don't just crowd up against it. Follow it at a length of, of, of cubits. And we don't speak cubits, uh, 2,000 cubits. But if you know what a cubit is and you begin to do the math, a cubit is about a hundred yards or, I mean, I mean a thousand yards or 3,000 feet. And so it was that, that about a half a mile, roughly, he says, I want you to make sure everyone can see the ark. If everybody would have crowded up on it, those in the back wouldn't have been able to see the ark. And so as they are, there's this gently sloping uh, terrain from where they camp that goes down into the valley where the Jordan River would flow. And so they're camping there and he says, I, I want you to, to make sure you can see the way that God takes. I'd like to just tell you today when you are in the unknown and you're not really sure what you should do, I would tell you keep your eyes on Jesus. If the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament represented the presence of God, then I would lead you to the New Testament where it says you will call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. I would take you to Hebrews chapter 12 and 2, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And I would tell you that when you don't know where to go and when you don't know what tomorrow may bring, keep your eyes on Jesus. It's Matthew 14, 27, and it's the, vo it's the parable. It's, the, it's what we would have told Peter. Peter, as long as you keep your eyes on Jesus, you can walk on the water. But the moment you take your eyes off of him, you're going to sink. Now, I'm thankful that when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, he was still close enough to Jesus for Jesus to reach down and pull him out. But I would like to tell you, don't use that as an excuse to get your eyes on Jesus and say, well, there'll come a time when I want to get my eyes back on him, everything will be okay. No, it could be that if you ever get your eyes off Jesus and you let enough time elapse about the time you want to get your eyes on him, he's not going to be where you need him to be. And it'll be too late. So I challenge you today, when you step into the next part of your life and you are looking at the unknown, keep your eyes on Jesus. Where he leads, I'll follow. The second part is found in the fifth and sixth verse. When Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders. And Joshua said to the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant, pass on before the people. And they took the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Consecrate your life. There's two important elements to the word and understanding of consecrate. The first one is repentance. 
One way that you consecrate your life to him is that you repent of your sins and you repent of your failures and you repent of your shortcomings and you, 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 you try to get your life back in line with his word. And so it is, I would just simply say that if you plan on following God into the unknown but you don't follow God's word, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. There's far too many people that want to follow God but don't want to follow God. That makes sense? But, but if we're going to truly say, I want to follow God, I want to be like him, there's an element of repentance that says, Lord, I've had a lot of moments in my life when I wasn't like you. I've said a lot of things that displease you. I've done a lot of things that were wrong and sinful. And there's an element of consecration of repentance that you say, Lord, before I try to follow you into the unknown, I'm going to follow you in what I do know, and that is I've sinned and come short of the glory of God. I want your presence. But Old Testament consecration also included things, and it don't make a whole lot of sense to us today, but it also includes a lot of things like they washed their clothes, they abstained from sexual relations, they, they changed their work schedules. Basically, they would interrupt their daily routine so they wouldn't miss out on the leading of God. There's a pastor I read, Pastor Lloyd Stilley. He said this, consecration means I will set aside the typical and I will put my spirit on ready so that I might see where God is working around me that I might join him. If you'll let me put it into plain English that Brandon Buford can understand. Sometimes we get so busy with life we miss where God is working. And so there is an element that if you're going to step into that unknown, the, the places you've never been before, the times you've never been before, I would challenge you, you better have a moment of consecration where you interrupt your daily routines and you put away the things. that They would have gotten so busy doing things, they would have missed the fact that the ark was leaving. And so these Sunday mornings when we come to church, that's one way you can consecrate your life. You say, you know what, I've got a whole lot of other time. I've got basically six and a half days. I can do whatever I want to do, but I'm going to consecrate this Sunday morning, be in his presence, enjoy an altar call and time of worship like we just enjoyed so that I can see where he is at. And then we get to verse 7. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. That you may know that I that, that, that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. As for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come down to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And so it is that I would tell you today, learn to follow God. Learn to consecrate yourself. And the third one is learn to stand still in the midst of the unknown. Those priests, they had to get their feet wet. Now, if you were at the back of the line, the back of those perhaps million people, you're in a pretty good spot because you'd have had a lot of time to see if God was really going to work a miracle out or not. I'd be like, you want to go first? Go first. I'm going to see if you get swept away because if so, I might go find a bridge somewhere. But I think there were six that carried the ark, if I'm not mistaken. I may be wrong. If I am, I apologize. But 
those six priests carried that ark. And they had to step into the unknown of a flooded river. Had no idea what was going to be under the water. No idea how it was all going to play out. They just knew there was a plan. God said, follow me. Now here's the key. In, In the parting of the Red Sea, the waters parted on either side. I mean, we've got the incredible historical vision of the Ten Commandments with Charlton Helston that tells us exactly how it happened. But in my mind, it was a pretty instantaneous event. Pretty amazing. There's water. Now there's dry land. Which, by the way, the miracle to me is not necessarily that the water parted, but that the land was instantly dry that they could walk on. I mean, think about that. It can stop raining, and three days later, you try to drive your truck in the yard, and you sink it. But the miracle of the Jordan was different. God did not so much part the waters. If you'll read it, it says that when the, 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 the priest stepped into the water, God started piling up the waters upstream. Now, as best I can tell, and again, I'm not, I've never been to the Holy Land. I, I don't know all of that. But the best I can find out is that perhaps it was up to 19 miles higher than where they were, where God started piling up the waters. It's like God put an invisible dam in the river and said, you can't go any further. But here's the thing. It takes just a little bit of time once the water stops flowing for all that water to flow past them. And so those priests had to stand there in the unknown for a moment until finally someone maybe a little higher up said, it's starting to go down. Because God doesn't always just open it up for you. Sometimes he says, are you willing to step in the unknown and just stand still for a moment and give me time to work? And so it is... As God stopped the waters, perhaps some 19 miles above stream, and they watched as that water level receded. They stood still to see God at work. I would caution you today, to our graduates that have graduated, to those that are in this building, don't bull rush your way through the Jordan. God's got a plan. You've never been this way before. So I remind you, follow God, consecrate yourself, and stand still. If I could add one more to that, I'd have to turn the page to Joshua chapter 4. And I would tell you that as they were walking, Joshua told each tribe, those 12 tribes of Israel, he said, I want you to pick one man, maybe one of your chiefs, and as they walk through, have them grab a rock. When they get to the other side, we're going to pile that rock up in a memorial. So that in times to come, when you pass that way and you see that pile of rocks and your kid says, what does that mean? You might say, well, that's where we followed God, we consecrated ourselves, and we stood still when we were stepping into the unknown. I think I've told many of you this. I think I've even shown you some of them. But here's my, one of my memorial stones. Comes from the desert there in Arizona. Where in 2020, God took Lighthouse Church 
and put a great big unknown in front of it. And said, I want to up, just, just turn over everything that Lighthouse has ever known. Let's move buildings. He didn't tell me this, but let's move buildings in the middle of a pandemic. He didn't say you ain't going to have church in your building for, you know, three months. He didn't say it's going to take a while for everybody to get back in the building. He just said, follow me. And so it was that in that desert of Arizona in 2020 when I got the call. Later on, I went back to where I got the call and I picked up these rocks. And this is on my, my bookshelf there. I don't have time because we're running out of time. I know these graduates, they want to go down there and they want to greet you and take your card that you're going to give them. But this rock tells me that God can take a congregation of about 120 people in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of financial uncertainty, but yet we never missed a beat. All we had to do was just take it one day at a time follow where he leads. There were times that I would look at him and say, God, your way makes no sense right now. Not a chance. You can ask our board. You, you can ask my dad, Brother Lee, Brother Lowe, ask Brother Tom Harding back there. There were times I said, God, it don't make a lick of sense. Why'd you let the whole ceiling fall in? But in the middle of it, I heard God say, if you're going to get into the unknown, you're going to have to be willing to follow me. You're going to have to be willing to consecrate yourself. And you're going to have to be willing to just sometimes stand. It was one time. I, I, got, a, I got so much faith, it's, it's insane. But even my faith sometimes seems to have a limit. There was one time no one could find me for a whole day. I was up there in that evangelist quarters. I got overwhelmed because money was running out things weren't happening as fast and I crawled up in there and me and God had a long conversation so long that I finally fell asleep I mean God works like that you ever notice in the darkest time of, I think it was Elijah's life, God said you need a snack and you need to rest. So when I look at these rocks, I realize that if God can take Lighthouse Church into the unknown by simply following him, consecrating our lives and standing still, there's sometimes moments in my own life that I'll hold this rock and I'll say, God, if you can do it for Lighthouse, you can do it for Brandon Buford. I don't know what unknown you're facing. It's easy to look at these graduates and say, well, it's simple. You're facing the unknown of, you know, you're, you're kind of becoming an adult and pretty soon mom and dad and that dependence on them is going to slowly fade. It's easy to look at that. But I believe there's a lot more unknowns in this congregation here today. And as we stand all around this building, I want to remind you once again, you've got to follow him. You've got to consecrate. You've got to slow down your life so that you can see where he's working and get to where he is. Sometimes you stand still 
in the midst of the unknown. I wonder for just a moment, would you close your eyes and would you think about the unknowns in your life? Could be that you're trying to figure out what your next step is. Maybe some things in life have changed and circumstances have changed and now you're trying to figure out where do I go from here? I'm sure there's plenty of things those unknowns you've never been this way before you've never had to navigate this before you've never had to do this before the Lord says lo I am with you always even to the ends of the earth Father right now In the name of Jesus, I begin to pray over this congregation. I I cannot identify to them their unknowns. Only you and they can. Lord, I I can't preach about every circumstance. I don't have the time to do that. So while the circumstances and the unknown situations may be vague, the plan is not. And I pray right now, that as we begin to transition to a song and we give a moment where we respond and I'm asking that it's not so much about the situation as it is about what you want us to do about it. Follow you. Consecrate ourselves to you. And stand still long enough in the unknown for you to stop the waters and let dry land appear. So Lord, I pray over every graduate here today Lord I pray that you would let these words fall upon the ears of Lydia and Daniela and Ashley and Emma Lord I pray for college graduates that now they're really facing the fact school's done I'm not going to be a student anymore now the real world hits I pray this prayer for them as well I pray for new parents and parents-to-be that are here, for marriages that are beginning, for marriages that, that have reached an unknown part in their, in their relationship. I pray for lives that are facing that angry, swollen Jordan that seems to separate them. Lord, I pray right now that you would let the words, that you would let the teachings of Joshua speak loudly. I will follow I will fix my eyes on you. Where you lead, I will go. Even if it makes no sense. Even if it doesn't make any sense to walk into a swollen river, I'll go because I have my eyes on you. I'll consecrate my life so that I'm in a place where I can move when you say move and go when you say go. And I'm willing to give you time that I will stand still and not bullheadedly rush into the waters. I'll give you time to perform the miracle because when I come on the other side I'm going to be carrying a stone that I'm going to add to my memorial pile and I'll be able to say once again you did things I didn't know was possible you've kept me in your presence would you begin to lift your voice would you begin to pray I open altars for you to come I hallow the ground where we're sitting for you and God to have a conversation as they begin to play, as they begin to sing, I'm going to put the mic down and would you let God begin to talk to you in the name of Jesus.